Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. On this podcast, I'll be talking with author Kelly Jones about the very strange and very funny middle-grade novel, The Hoboken Chicken Emergency, by the one and only Daniel Pinkwater. But first, like usual, I'll start with a poem. And the poem I'm going to read today is called Ocean Emotion. Uh, It was written by Linda Sue Park, and I found it in her book of poems for kids called Tap Dancing on the Roof. Uh, Linda Sue Park, of course, is the Newbery Award-winning author of A Single Shard, as well as many other books for children, uh, with such titles as Project Mulberry and A Long Walk to Water. Ocean Emotion by Linda Sue Park The red flag waves its stern warning. Danger, no swimming today. The ocean churns, foams, roars, dashes, hurls huge breakers at the sand. The next day, it's all tired out and takes a long nap in the sun. My guest today is Kelly Jones, author of the middle grade books Murder, Magic, and What We Wore, Unusual Chickens for the Exceptional Poultry Farmer, Are You Ready to Hatch an Unusual Chicken, and coming in September of this year, Sauerkraut. You can find Kelly's website at curiositijones.net. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Kelly. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, I mentioned you've got an upcoming book called Sauerkraut, which is uh, coming out this September. Can you talk a little bit about what that book is? Sure. Um, So this is a book about a kid who, his name's HD. He wants to be known as a maker. He's kind of at a point in his life where he's forming his own identity, wants to be known for what it is that he's into and what he's good at. And so he's saving up enough money to build his own computer from scratch. And to do that, he's cleaning out his uncle's basement when he meets the ghost of his great-great-grandmother, And she has a project she really wants to do, too, which is making sauerkraut. And she decides that she needs his help with that. So they kind of have a little uh, tug of war over whose project is more important and how to get everything done that they want to do. And where did you get the idea for this particular story? You know, I think it came from a lot of places. Um, One inspiration was... um, Kim Baker, who's a friend of mine, wrote a middle grade book called Pickle, the formerly anonymous, um, I always get this one wrong, formerly anonymous adventures um, of, oh, okay, it's got a long title, it's great, check it out. Um, anyway, it's about a kid who starts a practical joke club at school, and he gets PTA funding by disguising it as a pickling club, because he thinks that would be so boring that nobody else would join it. Um, and I thought to myself, but I love pickling things. I love this. This is great. And so I immediately became inspired to somehow put pickling into a book. Um, and also just a lot of things that I'm interested in. It was a great book to put all of my interests, building computers, doing projects in the kitchen, all kinds of making stuff and researching stuff and figuring out how to uh, have a project plan and how to get that done. So all of your interests put together, but then uh, creating a story around it so you can put in these little bits of information. Yeah. So I usually start with a character. The character usually comes to me first. 
And in this case, I knew it was going to be something about pickling. But when when the the main protagonist showed up, he wasn't that interested in pickling. And so I had to get to know him and figure out what he was interested in and which of my interests fit in this book and how that all came together. So, yeah, it always kind of grows out of what the characters are interested in. Now, I know I understand that you give a number of different school presentations uh, and not just about writing. Can you talk a little bit about the different kinds of presentations that you give, what one might expect? Sure. Yeah. So one of my most common ones um, is a, a presentation that I do for schools. I do it either for a full school assembly or for a smaller group. Uh, it's called Create Your Own Super Pet. And that comes, it sort of grew out of my unusual chickens books, which are about a girl taking care of chickens with superpowers. And in it, kids can imagine their own super pet, imagine a pet that has a superpower of some kind, and then use their five senses to describe that. Um, sensory details are one of the main ways that we can bring a reader into our stories, that we can make a reader feel like they're really there. And that is an it's a type of writing exercise that I teach to writers of all ages. I work with adults and teenagers as well as younger kids, but it really engages their imaginations. The, the things that they come up with, what their super pets, how they move, what they look like, what they sound like, what they smell like. It's amazing to hear what they come up with. And it's also amazing to me to watch them kind of figure out what it would be like to be a writer in there. So when I talk to teenagers, I also talk, I give them a chance to ask me questions about what it's like, because I never got to meet a writer until I was an adult. Um, that's not an experience I ever had. And so, and I, I feel like that's part of why it took me a while to really commit to being a writer, because I didn't know how to get from liking to write to doing this as a job. So that's something that I work with teenagers a lot on is what is it like to sit down every day and work on a book? Or how do you fit that into a life? Um, do you need another job? How, how do those things kind of go? As well as how to get yourself unstuck, how to sit down and write even when you don't want to, those kinds of things. Um, I have an exercise for that that's really fun. Um, you should try it sometime. Uh, where I pass out the most boring sentences that I can come up with and ask people to make them interesting. You can also make up your own boring sentences and trade them with friends. Um, but that's it's a more interesting and more hands-on way of um, figuring out how to how to make your writing better. Um, there's there's a lot of lecturing I could do, but it's more fun if we get a chance to just try things and see what works. So it's interesting you talk a bit about the writing process and, and give examples, mm -hmm. but you also talk about uh, actually what it means to be a writer in day-to-day -day yes. circumstances. What it's like to live a writing life. Yes. Yes. It's something I couldn't imagine when I was growing up. And that's part of how I didn't know how to get there. And I think that's important. So, yeah. I, I just have to ask, uh, going mm -hmm. back to the, the superhero pets, is there one particular superhero pet that um, somebody came up with that really stands out in your mind? Yeah, there's been a few, actually. Um, there was one that was an Austrian. It was an ostrich or an emu that was a, a NASCAR driver that was pretty exciting that uh, shifted with its beak. Um, there was another one that ate AAA batteries. I didn't get to find out exactly the rest of that pet, but that was pretty exciting. Um, yeah, there's been some really amazing combinations of things. I'm always very impressed. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. 
Now, the book you chose as one of your uh, favorite kids' books uh, is The Hoboken Chicken Emergency, uh, written by Daniel Pinkwater. And uh, at least the copy had illustrated by Jill Pinkwater. And it was written in 1977 and published by Anthonyum Books for Young Readers. Um, for those readers who may not have had a chance to read this uh, book, can you talk a little bit uh, about what it's about? Yeah. So this is about a boy who lives in Hoboken, New Jersey. Now, I actually, I grew up on the West Coast, and I had no idea that Hoboken was a real place. I thought he must have made this up when I read it as a kid. But it turns out Hoboken is a real place. I have learned this. And it's about a kid who goes out. His job on Thanksgiving is to go out and pick up the family's turkey from the butcher, the meat market. And somehow there's been an error, and there is no turkey for his family. And so he gets sent out to find a chicken or a duck or something else that they can have for Thanksgiving. And instead, he ends up coming home with a very much alive 266 giant chicken that he names Henrietta. And he walks home with on a, on a leash and dog collar. And this is the kind of hilarious misadventure that just really has always appealed to me. Things that feel very normal and everyday and suddenly take this wild twist. And, you know, Henrietta escapes and she terrorizes Hoboken. And it's it all goes, you know, there's a part where the police and the fire department think she's a polar bear in a tree. It, it gets way wilder than you might expect. Um, and that was, I've always loved funny books, and I've always loved books that have um, kids who are trying to do their best, and that's something that I, I really love about this book. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's still one of my favorites. My my I think my copy, this might be my original copy from when I was a kid, I think it was actually illustrated by Daniel Pinkwater, but there's been a few different illustrations over the years. But yeah, I love it. Now, as you mentioned, this is a book about a boy and his large chicken. And and you yourself have written uh, a couple of books uh, featuring chickens as well. So what is it about both this book and your book? What is so so fascinating about chickens themselves, not in both this book and, and just in, in your own stories as well that you found? So I wrote my own stories um, when I actually got my first chickens. I have backyard chickens. I live in the suburbs of Seattle, and um, I don't have enough room for other kinds of farm animals, but I had a little bit of room, and a friend of mine had chickens growing up, and I thought I finally had enough room for, for a few chickens, too. And so I did research about them, and I thought that was really fascinating, and I once we got our chickens, I would watch them every day just to see what they would do. And um, one of the things that I always think about, this is just kind of a constant thread in my mind, is what kind of superpower I would pick if I could pick any superpower. And so as I'm watching these chickens, I would wonder to myself what kind of superpower they would pick too. So one of my chickens one day, you know, she grabbed a slug and she took off running and all of the other chickens are chasing her, trying to grab that slug away because they wanted it too. And I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, I know what superpower that chicken might want. And, you know, there was another time when a a chicken, um, was it a dog got into my backyard and chased all the chickens around, didn't hurt anybody, but chased them. And this one chicken, um, she's a black and white striped chicken. She went under a bush And she was so quiet and so still that I couldn't find her for four hours. 
And I thought to myself, okay, yeah, I know what kind of superpower that chicken has. And so these all sort of started growing in my mind. So I, I suppose it could have been any animal. I suppose it could have been something other than chickens. But chickens do also, because they have no lips and they can't smile, they do have the funniest expression. They are always very serious looking about things. And um, the idea of them having superpowers just really appealed to me. So I kind of couldn't let that one go. Now, in this book, Arthur, who's the boy here, uh, and his chicken is Henrietta, they develop this relationship. And what is it about that that makes them inseparable? What what do they, I guess, offer to each other that um, develops this sort of bond between them, this unusual bond? Yeah. So one of the things that I've learned that I'm really fascinated about in books is the concept that you can't tell by looking at somebody what kind of person they are. Um, the concept that you can't tell who's a monster, you can't tell uh, who's a hero. And that's something that I think really uh, is at the heart of the Hoboken chicken emergency. Because as the story goes, Henrietta gets away and she's lost and she's scared, but everybody else is scared of her. And when Arthur first meets her, he's not scared of her. He's a sort of confused about how this is going to work for Thanksgiving, but he's not, and he's startled and surprised, but he's not afraid of a six foot tall chicken. And that's something very unusual about him. That's something that makes him, that's kind of his superpower, even though he has no magic, he has no special abilities in this book. And that's something that I think runs through my books too. Um, in Sauerkraut, uh, HD, the main character, his defining moment is that he doesn't, he, he comes back and talks to the ghost. He doesn't um, try to get rid of her or anything. He treats her as a person. And that's something that I think is, is something that I'm very interested in. And that I think this book is something that really explores too. Um, so yeah, I think Henrietta, loves him because he's nice to her. And I think he loves her because he sees what kind of chicken she is. She's a very sweet chicken. She's much nicer than many chickens. And and that's kind of the special bond that they have. You mentioned that uh, the, the name in the title Hoboken, which is Hoboken, New Jersey, which does sound like a made up name, but it's actually a very <laughs> real city. Um, it, is, it is. So it has a very specific uh, setting and it's an urban setting, which is not necessarily where you'd expect to find a story about a chicken. What is it about this particular st setting, the setting of Hoboken, New Jersey, that uh, adds to the story, that makes it a, a little bit more unusual of a setting? I think for one thing, uh, one of the things that was fascinating to me when I read it as a kid, and that's still fascinating to me, is that it's very clear um, from the details of Hoboken that this is a community with a lot of immigrant people. This is Arthur's family. His parents are from Poland. Um, his neighbors are from other countries. This It's very much the kind of world that I see myself and many of the kids that I work with living in today. And that wasn't something that had been reflected in books as often it, when I was a kid. It's starting to be a little bit more common. Um, but that's something that I think works really well for this story also. Um, this is a community that comes together and that coming together is important but they're coming together in different ways and sometimes seeing each other in different ways too, I think. Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely an urban community. It's, 
it's it feels very real. It's not an upper class world. It's a it's a world that feels very familiar to me, even though I've never lived in that area. And it feels very real. Um, it you know the playground has a chain link fence. It doesn't have a a white pickup fence, and it doesn't feel historic, even though it's a 1977 book, which is very interesting to me. Now, the, the, the story itself is kind of absurd, as you might expect a story about a giant chicken to be. And, and, and no one does absurdity quite like Daniel Pinkwater. It, the book operates yes. on its own reality, which the reader you either buy into or you don't. For example, apart from the chicken, there's these um, – Professor Mazoki invents these rectang- rectangular fish. Um, uh, so this is a book like this that has these just sort of very odd details, obviously not – realistic details. Does it take a particular kind of reader to really enjoy it and buy into it? You know, I think it takes a particular kind of adult reader. I don't actually think it takes... I I do believe that different readers of all ages like different books. I think it's less... It takes less to buy in as a kid than it does as an adult. And, you know, it's something that I, it's the kind of detail that I really love and that I always look for in books. That's, that's been a thread throughout my reading life. And I've actually seen it occasionally in adult books, too. There's a, um, the author Robin Sloan, who wrote Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore and a book called Sourdough, um, has incredibly absurd twists and what-ifs that somehow become logical as you keep reading and I love that. I think that's a, it's a wonderful kind of magical way to see the world. And um, I, I don't think it appeals to everybody, but I think it's, I think everybody finds something in it. And, or maybe that's my wishful thinking, since that's the kind of book that I like to write also. It, it could be, I, maybe you'd have to ask a different reader that question. Well, it's interesting. I'm thinking back to, I did a podcast on A Wrinkle in Time with Madeline Lengel, and she had a quote uh, about the difficulty of publishing her book and stating basically that um, children had no problem accepting the world she was creating. It's usually adults who didn't quite get it or didn't understand. And um, I'm not sure that says a lot for adults, that they have um, more trouble accepting uh, a strange world uh, just on its face value without explanations that things just happen because they happen. Yeah, I think that part of it is that, um, this is just my opinion, but um, there's an awful lot of things that kids have to accept at face value that they literally cannot have an experience of on their own. You know, there's so many things you learn in school that you just have to trust somebody. And kids are certainly very good at telling reality from fantasy. There's no question about that. But they're um, they are more used to accepting something and going with it, at least temporarily, I think, than adults are. But maybe that's, I don't know, I'd have to think some more about that theory and see if that makes sense to me still. Now, uh, Daniel Pinkwater, uh, both in this book and other books that I've read uh, by him as well, always struck me as someone who's a pantser kind of writer, just sort of makes it up as he goes along. Um, or is there actually more of a structure here than I'm giving him credit for? I I agree with you. I don't know him myself, although he did blurb my first novel, which was such a pleasure for me. Yeah, that was 
that was a, it was a really exciting moment for me. I feel like, you know, 12 year old me was finally impressed with something I'd done. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, but I've never gotten to meet him. Uh, I feel like part of why it has that feeling, regardless of how it's actually constructed, is that it does, his stories do kind of feel like, let's put the maximum number of absurd things into this fairly realistic story and then stir the pot and see what happens. Um, but I do also see themes throughout his work and I see characters pop up multiple times. Um, there's often a chicken in his books. Um, there's a, the chicken man has a chicken on his head in lizard music. And I've always wondered if that was a relative of Henrietta's or not. Um, and I think there's at least one more in one of his other books too. But yeah, I, it, it's a very, I don't know how he could pull them off without inflicting and structure upon them at some point. But yeah, it's a very, um, it's very differently structured than your average novel. And I think that's part of why they feel so special to me is that there's really nothing else like them. Now, do you think there's a, we talked about the, you know, the certain silliness and absurdity in this book, but I'm wondering if there's a, is there a larger point to this book, say about tolerance or acceptance because at towards the end of the novel henrietta sort of um goes on a, a rampage and she's changed when people start uh changing their own attitude toward her not being uh, as mean to her and being more accepting or in a book like that is it wrong to try to figure out what it's supposed to mean or try to draw a lesson out of it and just read it and enjoy it it's a good question. So I feel like there has, I feel like the story and the entertainment value of a story have to stand on their own for it to work for me personally as a reader. Um, I, I don't feel like the message is ever enough to carry a story um, without the, the value of the story itself, its value of entertainment uh, carrying through, if that makes sense. And I do believe that funny and absurd stories can have a real value in somebody's life, regardless of whether they have a message or not. Um, I used to be a public children's librarian. And one of the things that I learned to do over the years, when a kid was having a really hard time in life, somebody would come to me for books. And I would give them books about the situation and how to deal with that. But I would also give them some really funny books just to take their mind off of it. And partly just to remind kids that it's okay still to laugh and to take a break from whatever's going on. Because kids tend to feel really guilty about that. So I feel like it has to be a solid story that can stand on its own. But I do definitely see themes that I'm reading into the story. Like you were saying, the, the way that this situation with this escaped enormous chicken um, who's terrorizing this city uh, is resolved is not through um, force. It's through basically changing people's worldviews. I mean, they literally have the goodwill blimp going up there with messages of love about chickens, you know. And uh, yes, it's incredibly absurd. But at the same time, how wonderful that that could be a solution, you know, and how wonderful that that kids can see that play out, even if they see that in a in an absurd light, that they can see that that could make a difference. And they can draw. I think one of the things that I, I really value about Daniel Pinkwater's work is that he trusts young readers to draw their own messages out of it. He's not going to tell them what the message is. He's going to let them see how something works and see if that's something that they can apply to their own lives or not, because they're not going to be in a situation with a giant escaped chicken. 
Um, but they may be in situations where they remember that and use that in their own ways. And that's something I really value about him. Do you think that's something, um, as an author yourself, you know, that the story uh, that you're telling, rather than trying to think about, you know, what am I trying to impart to kids, but think about what the story is and, you know, how can I tell the best story possible is the thing to really think about. Yes. For the first, oh, say, three quarters of the drafts that I do, I focus solely on the story. And part of that, again, is because if I think that somebody ever might give this to a kid who needs to escape from somebody, from something, from who needs a break from their life or is having a bad day and just wants a laugh, it has to be able to stand up to that. And that means I have to tell it in the best way that I possibly can just for the entertainment value. And I, I really do see that as a responsibility of, of that I have as a writer to pull that off. But I also, at a certain point, after I've really figured out what the story is, then it is my job to look at it and say, okay, what is this actually saying? What am I telling here? What's, what's going on? Am I confusing people? Can I make this clearer? Um, am I being too messagey? Because it's, if I wanted to tell people what to do, I'd just write an instructional manual, right? If you want to inspire people to see the world in a certain way, which is more what I think the purpose of fiction is, then you can't do that logically through their brain necessarily. It has to come up through your heart. And so you have to line everything up in a way that makes that happen organically if people are finding that message in it or responding to that. And so there is some some writing artistry to that part, but there's also some writing artistry to try to make sure that you're not hammering anything either. Now, are there any particular passages from the book that you'd like to share? Yes. So this is the part where Arthur has just acquired this enormous chicken and he is leading it home on a leash. And this is sort of an unexpected situation, but this kind of gives you a sense, in my opinion, of sort of how reality meets um, giant chicken ownership. Everybody noticed the chicken as Arthur led it home. Most people didn't want to get too close to it. Some people made a sort of moaning noise when they saw the chicken. Arthur and the chicken arrived at the apartment house where the Bobowitz family lived. Arthur led the chicken up the stairs and tied the leash to the banister. Then he went in to prepare his mother. That took a long time, she said. Did you get a bird? I got a chicken, Arthur said. Well, where is it? His mother asked. I left it in the hall, Arthur said. It only cost six cents a pound. That's very cheap, his mother said. Are you sure there's nothing wrong with it? Maybe it isn't fresh. It's fresh, Arthur said. It's alive. You brought home a live chicken? His mother was getting excited. It was the only one I could find. Arthur started to cry. I went to all the stores and nobody had any turkeys or chickens or ducks. And I finally br I brought this chicken from an old man who raises them in his apartment. Arthur's mother was headed for the door. Mama, it's a very big chicken, Arthur shouted. She opened the door. The chicken was standing there, shifting from foot to foot, blinking. It's a very simple style when you when yes. you think about it. 
Yes. And um, that's that's something that I really respond to also. It's the words aren't fancy. The words feel everyday too. But what he does with them is very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Kelly, thank you so much for picking this book. It gives me a chance to reread it. I mean, uh, anything by Daniel P. Pinkwater is always worth rereading. And uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for letting me share one of my favorite books. I appreciate it. You can find Kelly's website at curiosityjones.net. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.